Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today I want to kind of talk about a little bit more practical matter about the faith. And that issue is that as human beings, uh, our memories are not what we think they are. I mean, scientifically speaking, we've been able to prove many times that our movie or our memories are not cell phone cameras that perfectly record what is out there and what has happened. And we can all think in our lives of various events that if there were multiple people around, when we first recall the event the day of, they're pretty similar. But as you start to fast forward down the road a little bit a year or so later, now details are blurring, they're getting a little different. And then you get to 10 years later, it's like no one's even talking about the same thing. And that's just from a nature of memory and there's probably a little bit of natural making yourself look in better light um, type thing that goes on with time. You know, as we retell stories, uh, details can get altered. So where I'm coming with all of this is that we know that we can do that in a span of about 10 minutes within our own lives and especially in long-term memory as we go beyond that. So how did we as a faith, where Christ lived over 2,000 years ago, be able to keep the truth there and not have just the human experience by itself veer us into all kinds of wrong and incorrect directions? Well, it's, a, it's an important question. It would be a sort of easy critique or an easy attack, and, and has been, on a our Christian faith or on our Christian scriptures or a number of different points. And, and there are uh, several layers of answers, I would say, to your question. Uh, one is the, the difference in uh, oral history as opposed to written history and the way that that developed. We're a bit distant from that now, and we lose sight of how well oral histories were passed down and how faithfully, uh, really with incredible accuracy in a more oral culture. We, we're many, many centuries distant from that. So we have a hard time imagining what was in fact the regular practice and, and what was very possible uh, with the, the structure of our, our memories and sharing stories. So there, there are some human layers of it is the point. Um, things like oral histories or something that's dear to my heart in terms of the monastic tradition of copying manuscripts and monasteries, monks uh, dedicated lifetimes, essentially copying libraries, saving things from uh, the so-called dark ages uh, after the, the sacking of Rome and a lot of the chaos that ensued in Europe. My, uh, under the guidance of St. Benedict, a number of monasteries were formed and a lot of learning was preserved that way. And so there are some of those human means of uh, copying. And of course, when things are copied a number of times, they can deviate. And so we have some man different manuscript traditions as we talk about, and some errors that were made in one scribal copying, getting passed down, things like that. But when you correlate uh, several different manuscript traditions, you start to get an idea of, oh, well, there was a little mistake that came in here, a little mistake that came in there. It's fairly easy to reconstruct a kind of uh, textual forensics or something like that. So there's some of those human elements that are, are worth talking about, and we can talk about a little bit more. We would also say what 
Jesus said to his apostles that the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth and he will remind you of all that I told you. Jesus said, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. Uh, when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will lead you into all truth. And so we do believe that uh, God is, is actively involved in this process and has a vested interest. And that's moving into the realm of faith. Uh, you, some may doubt that, but you can't disprove it uh, any more than I can prove it to you or force you to believe it. So it is a matter of faith that, that God is guiding and helping this process along through the Holy Spirit who continues to, to teach us and guide us and, and remind us. Uh, another element that that we can look at, and I'm just sort of uh, throwing out several points, and then we can dive into any one of these. But one interesting thing is the apostles themselves didn't write anything down immediately. It would seem the the first uh, work of the New Testament is probably from Saint Paul toward the end of the 40s, uh, maybe beginning of the 50s A.D. His letter to the first letter to the second first and second letters to the Thessalonians being the earliest Christian uh, New Testament writings. Now, there may have been notes taken. Uh, the Gospels in uh, intermediate forms may have been written down in, in part, uh, certainly passed along by oral tradition. But the, the Bible as such wasn't formulated until uh, probably the, towards the end of the first century, actually co collected together in all of its parts. And some of the individual writings would have been a decade or two after Christ. And then you say, well, how, how accurately do you remember things from a decade ago? Uh, but those, the stories were told, the, the witnesses were still alive. And the thing is, you know, Jesus himself didn't write anything. Uh, he wrote maybe a couple words in the sand when the uh, woman caught in adultery was cast before him. And we don't even know what he wrote then. So Jesus wasn't a writer. But what he did is form people who knew him. And that's where we start to get down to the essence of our Christian faith, which is the person of Christ. And so who do you, who do you entrust or how do you entrust yourself to someone would you rather write your own story, which is going to be significantly truncated, or would you share yourself with another person? And, uh, you know, maybe you, Joe, could think of the difference between writing some kind of autobiography as opposed to saying, well, anybody who wants to find out who I was, talk to my wife. She actually knows who I am, and she can tell you how I thought and how I acted and even without some of the concrete details that might slip away from her, she actually knows you. And so that was Jesus's primary method of passing on the faith was to share himself with individuals who then uh, taught according to what they knew about him. And furthermore, Jesus is not an historical person who died 2000 years ago. Uh, Jesus is an historical person who died 2,000 years ago, but he's not only that. He's also the living God. And so he continues to reveal himself to people. So I know about him because I read the scriptures, because I read theologians, because I read the, the, the popes, because I talk to people who claim to know him and who introduce me to him. But I also know him. I also have come to know him myself through prayer and through 
uh, living as he as he taught, and then I come to know him from the inside. And so he continues to reveal himself to individuals. And the whole constellation of that knowledge, written, shared, those who encounter him, those who grow in him, all of that is what gives a, the, the sort of solid core to our Christian teaching and to our Christian faith. Uh, that's, the, that's the essential core of all of this. There's a lot of other stuff around it that's that's developed over time. The stories of the of the saints and some of the other additional stories, and we have something like the Chosen series now on on television that describes over many episodes the life of Jesus. It's accurate to the scriptures, and it adds in a lot of details, details that uh, they they may or may not be true. They don't contradict anything that's that's essential. And I think those stories will start to pass on. Probably a hundred years from now, people will make reference to Matthew, the tax collector, who is a little bit autistic. Uh, well, how do we know that? Well, because the imagination of the chosen authors described him that way, and the scriptures don't contradict that. So uh, uh, that's the kind of thing, the way that that some other Christian traditions with a little t have developed over the centuries is a little bit of imagination, maybe a little bit of historical data, but in the end, they don't matter that much either. It's it's not essential to our faith or to knowing him. And so some of those additional stories kind of grow up and uh, over time and take on a little bit of a life of their own. But uh, anyway, those are a few bits about the kind of Christian memory that's passed down under the protection and guidance of the Holy Spirit that still leads us to a living encounter with Christ and brings us into a relationship with, with oral tradition, but also with texts that were written by human authors, but the scriptures especially, we believe, are authored by the Holy Spirit ultimately together with those human authors. Well, to a degree, I mean, I think that, that those details that you say that the little T's are developed, that you say that they don't matter. So from a spiritual and, and gospel standpoint, if the detail wasn't there, it can't, it's not contradicted. It doesn't go against the story, which is important. But I would make an argument that those details that make everything more relatable um, help to help it stay more with people, help it become more truthful. And I think that that's part of where we were starting here with that disconnect. I had that thought of, you know, Jesus is a disciples and none of him took any notes. If you think about that today, you know, in this modern world, you'd have roughly a gajillion texts to go through in referencing in referencing an event now. So if you just think about the, the writing data that we have now in terms of notes on the scene, if you will, it's just astronomical. And that's just, you know, text messages, let alone all the other forms of media here that, that we would do. So, well, and, and just to say a, a little point there, mm -hmm. I didn't say that nobody took any notes, and I actually like it very much in the Chosen series. They, they're, they're attentive to the fact that all the stories in the scripture, they, were, they did have a human record. You know, it wasn't, none of it was shrink-wrapped and dropped from heaven. So who knew about the Annunciation? Well, Mary did. Clearly, she told the story. Somebody took the note. So we we, uh, we hold on to that kind of factual transmission. And in the Chosen series, when Nicodemus is discussing with Jesus, uh, recounting what, what is recorded in John chapter 3, uh, 
John is actually there. Jesus had brought along James and John to be sort of witnesses or at least remote witnesses of this encounter. And John is there scribing things down. In another scene when Matthew, the tax collector, is called, he, he brought his tax ledger with him. And then suddenly he realized it and he was going to leave it. And Jesus sort of has a little smile and he says, just go ahead and keep it. You might need it. And uh, so we can imagine, in fact, the, uh, the some note taking may very well have taken place along the way. But just to add that that little detail, I mean, we do hold to those kinds of uh, realities. We don't we don't think that the scripture just sort of appeared or that the Holy Spirit in gold letters started scribing things on pages. All of the human elements are also interworked there, but but protected, guided by the Holy Spirit through everything. And then, well, since we just kind of went down this road, this this question just popped in me there. Is that part of what makes St. Paul so different? Because he wrote a lot. I mean, obviously, all the most of the letters are from him. And as I'm thinking about this, the majority of the apostles are essentially just roaming from town to town with Jesus, and they were told to leave everything else behind. Well, in often case, that you know, a minimum is extended family, but in some cases, they're direct family. Um, is St. Paul unique in the fact that he actually did write? Is that because of his Roman upbringing? Or is it because just those letters that the apostles would have had throughout those years of journeying with Jesus um, either weren't recorded or, or were not deemed worthy to, to be in the Bible? Well, there wouldn't have been a practice, I don't think, of writing letters in a kind of conversational way. So I don't think it would be reasonable to think of Peter writing home to his, uh, he had a mother-in-law, so clearly he was married. Whether she was still alive or not, we don't really know. But anyway, we wouldn't think of of Peter just writing letters home. St. Paul's writing had a particular uh, goal of teaching the churches. And so he wrote these letters directly to churches and individuals, and then wrote also uh, encyclical letters that were circulated throughout churches in an area. And he was writing for a very specific purpose. Now, he likely also had a scribe. It's not clear, um, you know, he makes reference to his big script at the end of one of his letters. And it makes it sound like the letter was primarily written by somebody else, but then at the end he signed his name in his big letters. So uh, writing would have been somewhat of a professional occupation. And that could be also an inaccuracy in the Chosen series. It's did, did Matthew, well, if he was a tax collector, he probably also uh, wrote things. St. Peter has some letters that he authored, whether he physically wrote them or not is another question. Again, it was a regular practice to dictate a letter and have it transcribed. And the apostles wouldn't have had scribes with them necessarily in their journeying with Jesus. Uh, St. Paul certainly was accompanied by scribes at different points and and then did some of his own writing. It's not clear whether how many were, were autographs of his or not. Fair enough. Um, so, so part of what had made me think of this topic here in the first place um, is I actually had an experience of having to try to go through and do this um, type of exercise. Obviously, it wasn't about the Bible. Um, uh, last summer, not the one we just had with Corona, but the one before it, uh, Teresa and three of her nieces and a nephew, um, two of which were in high school and two were just a tick below it, uh, did a cross-country tour, ended up 
doing a road trip uh, that led him eventually all the way to Hollywood and all the way back. So from Pittsburgh to the West Coast is a lot of different places and a lot of different areas. And all four of them were instructed to basically keep a journal and, you know, write what you did type thing. Um, two of the four of them did it. And for the year anniversary of when the chip returned, um, I basically edited and made a giant video for them with them narrating their own words. And in that exercise, when they literally were taking notes either that night or the next morning of what had just happened, you see how the two different journals are close-ish, but not really, um, in terms of the finer details. But in terms of, of the overall essence, there's so much overlap that, that it's, it's very clear. And I think that's part of the things that, that, that made me want to, to think and have this discussion was, you know, as you keep bringing up the Chosen series, which is kind of choosing which of those little details do we want to imply, which was never touched upon. You know, I, I, I just have this feeling that, you know, it's those types of things that the people can question, well, is the, who knows what they're really talking about, but having gone through, through a similar exercise of the essence being there, it, it, it's very real. And it also put me in a situation which you mentioned before about an autobiography versus an, a, a, a biography written by someone else being that when you're writing it yourself, you're able to essentially control the message, emphasize the parts that you want to emphasize, so on and so forth. But when it's someone from a step removed, they can get a outside factors that you may not want to discuss. So the, the, the parts of the story you want to hide in outside biography um, wouldn't be restricted to have to do it. And also you know, just naturally, physically as people, and also from a mental standpoint, you can only see the direction your head's pointed. There's an entire half of your body that you cannot see based upon, it's what's called your back. You know, you'd have to really go out of your way to see your back. And in general, in life, most people do not continuously do that. They have a direction and they go it both in terms of narratives and stories and just human nature to a degree. And whenever you bring out autobiographies, you can get angles from a lot of different perspectives to give you the full picture. And to me, that's something that I think actually makes the argument to enhance it. When, when we say that Jesus never wrote his own gospel, and your explanation of he wrote it by having everyone around him see the picture, well, that's how you're going to get a, a detailed picture. And if you would think about just an exercise of four guys being on outside corners of a house and each of them describe what they're seeing. Well, each of them have a different things to look at and each of them have a different viewpoints. They're all looking at the same large house and don't see each other necessarily, but there's so much details and so much, so much going on that in a very real way, Christ had to be like that just from a, not physically as big as a house, but from the content and the message that how can you try to accurately describe all of it whenever you have just such a limited perspective. So I guess that's part of what I, what I wanted to, to dwell upon um, and, and make sure that I got the essence across. Cause as I was thinking about this episode, those were the two thoughts that kind of kept recurring to me. 
Yeah, and, and we're always doing a little bit of a balance between looking at the human dynamics and also seeing the the divine guidance of those. And that's where there's a, a kind of tension as we describe Jesus, who is truly God and truly man. And there's a temptation, and it always results in heresy, to reduce that, to eliminate his divinity and say, well, that didn't really play any role, or to eliminate his humanity and say that didn't play any role. And what we find is the church also, the church is filled with Christ, and so the church is truly divine, but it's also filled with human beings, and it's truly human. And when we have the authoring of the scripture, we're going to have the same kind of tension the primary author is the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what happened, and he has his own reasons for recording that. At the same time, the human authors are true authors, and the scriptures are truly human. And so that's the, the living tension that we're always holding on to. So we see those kinds of dynamics, and I like the way that you described all that, Joe. It's a great way to understand the human dynamics. And God wants to work with our humanity. It's not a fake just like Jesus's humanity wasn't, he was, it wasn't like he was pretending to be human or just appearing to be human. He was truly, genuinely human. And the scriptural authorship is truly, genuinely human. And so seeing those kinds of dynamics, like what's interesting to one person, the classic story of, you know, five blind men describing an elephant and having completely different descriptions that you wouldn't even recognize the same animal. Um, you know, the gospel writers in their humanity, uh, and, and Luke describes his process. He gathered all of the best story, the most important stories, and put them together for the sake of the lover of God, Theophilus. And that's a, a real human process that he engaged in. But the true author is also the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so we, we can never uh, just reduce it to one or the other and say, oh, it was because of this. Well, that's part of it. Uh, and it was also guided by the Holy Spirit for the sake of revelation. The Holy Spirit knew that you and I would be reading it. See, that's the difference. The human authors didn't know that. And uh, if they had been left to their own devices, maybe would not have recorded things in a way that it could still reveal God to you and to me. But guided by the Holy Spirit, that is possible, that their words 2,000 years ago are uh, so carefully constructed that we can do detailed analyses of the scriptures and derive tremendous amount of meaning more than the evangelists themselves knew were in there. So that's the, the wonderful reality of our process of the scriptures. Now, again, uh, that's part of the memory of the church that gets passed down. The interpretation of the scriptures is also a critical part, and we can see that development through the ecumenical councils and through the teaching of the popes. And that has to be taught and received and what gets held on to and all of that. Anyway, it's really a wonderful, what we find is when you start to study some of these historical processes and start to uproot the, uh, the various texts that guided the reception and understanding of the Christian faith, it's really fascinating and, and just amazing to see how beautiful that process is. There's a, there's no like skeletons in the closet and stuff that we've got to hide somewhere because, you know, there's certainly plenty of humanity involved and uh, we can smile as we see the humanity and the human efforts to, you know, manipulate the process or, or uh, sidestep it or whatever. But, um, but really it's, a, it's amazing to see how, how coherently 
Christian tradition holds together, going back to Jesus himself. And as you mentioned in there, um, it's not easy to do this. And I think that that, that just went, that gets lost somehow in that the fact that these books are old and they were written by people 2000 years ago. And, you know, look at the way they lived that it's so much different than ours in terms of technology. It, it doesn't mean it was easy um, at all. And, you know, the, the thought that I was having there, as you were talking about how every time you try to reduce Christ, you create a heresy. Well, that makes sense because anything that's worthwhile doing normally takes extra effort to make it worthwhile. And essentially you just describe a spiritual and mental exercise to be able to truly articulate it, which would have taken a lot of time and energy to articulate your points and be able to get there. And I think that this is one of those types of situations where we just take it for granted because we know what the final product is. And sometimes knowing the result and not the process can be the worst thing. Um, I know that when I've done consulting work for sales professionals, so much of the answer is, did the sale happen or not? When in reality, it was the process we went to get there. And I think that that gets lost so easily as probably by a human nature, by how readily everyone takes on that disposition that there's a lot of time and effort and energy um, that goes into this. And as you think about it, you know, they could have been, they could have had way more references to that time era that would have muddled the entire gospels down that wouldn't really have, have transferred to the rest of the world. You know, if you think about the, the message of Christ, it's still universal now and, and applied to everyone who's gone before us. So I think of how much time and differences in culture that has had. So I know we went a little bit longer than we do with most episodes here today, Father. Um, I certainly thank you for being with us here today, and we will be with you here next week. Sounds great.